0: Hey everyone, uh, on this week's episode of Untucked, we are going to, um, we're going to talk about college and sports um, after COVID-19, what they look like, and then we wrap up with a Peter Lynch quote um, about, well, unwittingly, a quote he made about uh, diversification. We cover the last dance, and then our top five is the things we would do tomorrow if all COVID restrictions were lifted. Enjoy. Just want to take a couple of minutes and remind you that if you have any interest in learning more about us, uh, Jeff, Mike, and I are three of a seven-person team uh, operating a financial planning firm in Westchester, Pennsylvania. The Financial Coach Group is a retirement-focused firm um, and we serve clients who are either approaching or already retired. Um, our comprehensive process it was developed to address the myriad of issues specific to that demographic the new wealth project is also a comprehensive uh, planning offering that is focused on a younger demographic Uh, young families young business owners um, emerging community and and professional leaders uh, who have a also unique but different set of issues and concerns so if you're interested in learning more about either one of Um, our offerings, I would encourage you to visit our websites, www.financialcoachgroup.com or www.thenewwealthproject.com. Thanks for listening, guys. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 26 of Untucked. This is Megan.
1: And Mike. And this is Jeff. So, how about Dolly Parton won. Meg, do you know who Dolly Parton is?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so she entered into a Dolly Parton look-alike contest. Not only did she lose, she got the least amount of applause. And it was, and it was like um, drag queens that dressed up as dolly parton and the judge like the judging was done by applause and she got the least amount of applause
0: did anyone know it was actually her uh, i don't think so now
2: was it dolly in her prime dolly or was it like dolly 78 years old i have no idea mike I'm just, you know, just need a little more, I need a little bit more fun facts in the fun facts.
0: Well, I have to believe that like in a drag queen competition, it's the most like overdone look that gets the most applause, right?
1: She said, actually, so I, I saw the fact and then, I, and then I Googled it to see if it was actually real. She was being interviewed on some talk show and she tells a story. And she said, "All looked like great. They looked like good Dolly Partons. I guess guess the the fans didn't think
2: so. Okay.
0: Do we have anything sports related?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Are you guys following all the daily rumors around when stuff is opening, certain things shutting down and and all of that? As you can imagine, I'm paying attention to the NHL stuff, and there's chatter about – Finishing the season in the late summer somehow in front of no fans uh, in a really aggressive like four venue games, multiple games every day, uh, rush to finish it and get a a championship, you know, playoff, you know, um, completed. And then next year, starting in like November slash December, it's sort of really aggressive schedule that would somehow or other like be a full season again, likely in front of no to very limited fans. Um, and I've heard, i read that some of the owners are saying, yo, if we, pl- if we turn on the building and turn on the se- like the games and we don't have game seats, I lose way more money than if, than if we stay dark, we don't have a season. Right. So anyway, that's, I guess that's the latest on the NHL. Who's desperately trying to? They're all, they're all trying to desperately figure it out, obviously. But for me, like the concept of having like a you know four or five or six games in a day, like March Madness for hockey, be awesome. It would be a mess, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean the ice would be horrible. the 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 quality of play would be bad. But I mean, you either just like. Cancel the season and put a big asterisk in the record books, or you somehow finish it, but it's still going to have the same stigma. Yeah, I just think like the players
1: are not doing anything right now. I mean, I'm sure they're all like training at home, but the quality of play I mean, it would take like a month for them to be back to where they kind of look like hockey players again.
2: Yeah, and for the Flyers, like you know, as you guys remember. Playing great. They were like looking like they were rolling into the playoffs. I, it was exciting for the team and for the city who cares about the Flyers. It's a shame because no matter what, it's a it's kind of like a crap shoot if they end up doing anything in terms of resuming. So, whatever.
0: yeah, I kind of feel like the biggest concern is injuries and just going from training in your basement by yourself to them being on the ice or being on the court. Um, and the the risk that the athletes would run like coming back, and then if it's in some sort of aggressive or accelerated fashion, there being way more like playoff implications, and we have to win now. Like I, I just I don't know if it's a good idea at all for anybody. Yeah,
2: I I mean I agree with all, with that aspect of it. Just thinking though about the idea. Of, okay, they have games again in front of empty arenas, there'd be sick camera angles for everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you could arguably have, this will never happen, but imagine you the chirping, you'd hear everything that's going on on the ice or the court or the field that's being said amongst the players, which would be great. Except it be great cool. for them because they, you know, I'm sure a lot of stuff has said that, that
0: they don't the want league recorded league <laughs> in the
2: play. Yeah. They don't want out there. But the other thing is if they end up do playing whatever sport in front of empty arenas, they're going to have to pump in crowd noise and like have fake crowd noise because otherwise it just wouldn't be watchable, right? Yeah.
0: I'll take Um, it. Right. If I mean, just anything at this point. I'll
1: take fanless sports over no sports any day. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Dude, there's nothing to watch on TV. I can't. I can't do the news. I'm actually done updating myself on the coronavirus. I don't care anymore. Like I don't want to hear anymore about it. Not that I don't want to hear any more about it, but I just, I'm not following anymore as much as I was. I can only watch so much Family Feud. I'm even like bored of uh, Breaking Bad. Like I'm in season three, episode six. And I'm kind of like, eh, I need some sports, man.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Speaking of sports. Andres Martinez from Slate.com wrote the article, Sports Post-Pandemic Reckoning, um, and he writes about the nature of sports and fandom and kind of like we're already discussing. Um, we're obviously sports fans, um, but his take is whether or not they're considered essential and like how urgent do we make it to bring to bring them back? Um, he talked mostly about soccer, which I skipped over anything that was FIFA related, <laughs> but I think uh, generally, um, it's an interesting an interesting topic to discuss.
1: What do you what what do you guys think? Are sports essential?
0: I think so.
2: Um, to me, the definition of essential is kind of a weird thing. I mean, um, you know, Sports falls into a category like school, churches, airplanes, trains, subways, which is just basically crowd and restaurants. You know, th- things that are, you know, cate- the category of things that have um, large groups of people together. And I don't know. I mean, the essential part of it is is weird to me. It's hard for me to imagine that you're going to have like college football packed in stadiums unless I just can't, it's hard for me to picture that. Um, I mean, and and of course the caveat is like there isn't some sort of major like breakthrough or some sort of like mass testing protocol that allows it to happen. Um, but on the other hand, the outdoor sports to me are the first things that would come back basketball, hockey. Um those those are probably going to be last to to figure it out at least with 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 spectators. um but I guess let me get I'm, I'm on a tangent probably, like back to are they essential? It's an enormous industry. It employs so many people on, on the periphery of not just the athletes themselves. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's essential, but but is but then then you would say, well is are other areas of entertainment essential? Concerts, yeah, you know, musicians, uh, plays, Broadway, <laughs> movies.
0: I mean, so- I guess for me, it's just been like it's never been more clear how much we as a society enjoy spectating sports, whether it's from your couch or from the the stadium. Like, I think if you asked anybody what they miss most, even the most like laissez-faire fan sports would be top 3. I have to imagine for everybody. Cuz even if you don't care about football, you go out on Sundays for games. If you don't uh like basketball, you'll tune into a game of the NBA finals or you know who LeBron James is. Like I just feel like the impact and the reach for sports. Obviously like I'm not putting any thought into like the logistics of how it would work, but I wanted to so badly. Um, so that's why I'm like very easily like, yes, it's considered essential.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's the problem it. though. Sorry, Jeff. I'll just one quick thing. Uh, like essential for us and people like us, there's plenty of people that couldn't give a shit about sports Who would who would be pissed if, you know, sports opened up again and transmission spread was escalated as a result and threatening other people's lives.
1: I mean I looked at it like they're absolutely essential and so the more I read the article like the more it got me thinking about sports not as far as like like from an economic standpoint are they essential it was more like think about how many people use sports as their outlet like kids that stay out of trouble because they're going to practice and they're not like running with a bad crowd like how many people have learned how to Harness relationships and learn teamwork and like and you can just go on and on i mean that growing factor like how we learn to grow as human beings through the use of sports like yeah that's majorly essential when you look at like people bond with sports the way they do it in like wars like i remember when 9-11 happened like we were all like you would look at people were like all right man we got to like we need to bond together. And it was like you get the same feeling when the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. You go on the Wawa and you just look at people. You're like, hey, hey, what's up, man? Birds are going to the Super Bowl. Go like,
0: Birds. <laughs> it
1: was, it, there is an emotional bond that gets created through sports. And it's essential, man. There's no doubt about it in, in, in my mind. No doubt.
2: Yeah, that, you make a good point for a lot of good points there. You're right. Like, I mean, I was at that first Yankees game after September 11th. Playoff game against the Diamondbacks. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's so much
1: that we learn from sports. My son said to me. Colin said to me today. He's like, Dad, is it bad that I'm kind of like not caring about hockey anymore? And it's. He's like, I went out on the, on the driveway this morning, and I just yeah, wasn't feeling it anymore. It's like I think the kids like he's like starving for some competition and hanging out in the driveway working on his skills. It's been a month. He's run his course with that. He now needs to like go against someone else and try to play and compete.
2: Yeah, I think you convinced me. Like there's there's like the physiologically essential stuff, food, like air, food, like gas, like all that stuff. And then there's the emotionally essential stuff for for so many people that's that that's that. You're right. Yeah. I think it's emotionally essential. Sure. What else you got, Meg?
0: No, I mean, I I agree. I think I, I was strictly looking at this from an entertainment standpoint and, you know, I think as a, as a spectator of professional sports, yeah, it's probably, that's like the, the, that's just one part of what bringing sports back would do or who it would impact. And yeah, the youth sports, um, kids who want to go to college, who need sports to, to go to college. Um, there's a lot of different ways that this, you know, that sports can be considered essential and for a lot of different people. Um, yeah. And I agree with, yeah, pretty much everything you just said.
1: Cool.
0: Is this the first time we've ever agreed on something? <laughs> it's the like, first time you guys
1: ever agreed on my opinion. That's for sure.
0: Pretty- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can use that to kind of go into um, colleges as well, because I think it's a little bit of a similar conversation. So um, Erica Pandy from Axios.com wrote the article, Coronavirus Sends American Universities Off a Cliff. Um, The COVID-19 world we are living in has changed many things dramatically, sports and higher education being two of them. Um, Erica's article discusses the implications for colleges and universities, as well as current and future students. Um, I put in the near future, but I think this could really be something that changes the landscape, you know, maybe moving forward. So where do you guys see higher education going from here?
2: I mean, I think it's the one of the top handful of industries or businesses that are crosshairs of this whole virus, meaning that will be impacted potentially the the most and changed the most permanently. Um and and a lot of it maybe has to do with it was ripe for being changed. <laughs> you know, we all know that the it's no secret that the the tuition, inflation intuition and, and the cost of higher education is just, you know, there's, nothing comes close to it. Jeff, you're dealing with it now um, personally with a um, one of your kids already in college and uh, you know, the question of like the value you get and what you're paying for and all of that stuff. I think it's, um, I think it's a lot dependent, certainly on the trajectory of how this whole thing goes and the, the duration and the, the measures that are in place and how, you know, what, what things look like in the fall. But I, but somebody wrote an article um, and I agree with it. And we were talking about this, which is that this is accelerating trends that were in place that hadn't yet sort of like fully baked themselves out, if that's a, a phrase, which are like um, retail stores, education, how it's, how it's delivered and what it costs, um, digital currency instead of cash, like all the things that have like, were, were already sort of like being chipped away at, but hadn't really gotten blown up. I think there's a real potential that higher education gets blown up in a, in a huge way Because of this, so and maybe it's a good, probably it's a good thing. Eventually, I think it sucks for seniors in high school and anyone who's in college now, and and even juniors in high school, for that matter. Everybody that's had 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 a vision in their head of what it was going to be like and what they were going to be doing that's going to be probably very very different. But in the article, I think University of Michigan is saying that they're going to be down four hundred million to a billion dollars this year, not like somewhere in that range. Based on what they expect to happen with, you know, sports. Part of that is sports being interrupted and the revenue that generates a likely dramatic drop off in enrollment um, to basically demand for their services. And so they're like slashing and burning already with cutting salaries of, of faculty and every expense they can. I don't, I don't know that that's all necessarily a bad thing. But it's man, is it gonna? uh, It's it's just so impossible to even predict what it's all gonna look like. But it's gonna be different.
1: Where does all the profit, you know, after expenses of the University of Michigan, where does all that profit go? After all the
2: teachers have been paid, all the bills have been paid, where's it go? Well, I think I, I mean I don't know. I think it's if you look at running the cost to run a university that has tens of thousands of students enrolled at any time and the the marketing efforts paying your head football coach whatever he gets paid <laughs> as an example and paying the the president of the colleges multi million dollars a year to be an administrator of a university we get a big payroll number one but these are gigantic complexes of sprawling, like luxury buildings on real estate that costs a ton to own and upgrade and maintain and service debt on the mortgage on on all the like, properties that are built on. I mean, what college hasn't massively upgraded its facilities over the past, like whatever number of years? And like my college is unrecognizable to me if I were to go there right now. Every building has been upgraded to some, like, country club. Mike, it's been 60 years, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I would say it's probably, Jeff, infrastructure and just, like, continuing to build and maintain the facilities.
2: Yeah, and and, and unfortunately, college, as it's, um, as it's structured right now, is the worst possible scenario for, like, covid fearing people yeah right yeah. it's it's just a community of and it's all about everything about it is like the antithesis of what we're all being forced to do right now it's the opposite so i think that's why higher education in particular and schooling in particular is is such a gigantic question mark
1: i would i would love to see the industry change i don't want to see it get Demolished from the standpoint of, I don't want teachers to lose their job. I don't want, um, you know, staff and administrators to to be out of work. But I think like you said, Mike, it's ripe for change. It costs way too much for what you get. And maybe if if we have more cyber learning, if more kids don't want to live on campus and can and can get a good education from their home um, and from their computer. Uh, I'm I'm all for it. So I think the change is necessary because the cost for these colleges to do exactly what you guys just said, get the bigger stadium, have the nicer science department so that you you grab more uh, enrollment is just it's causing the cost of it to become horrible debt service for all of these kids that are graduating. It's what we've been talking about for 10 years, how all of these kids are graduating from school with mountains of debt. Because it costs too damn much, man,
2: and I, I think you're right. I think this is the wake-up call that education needed. So, like you know, if you think, I, I mean, college to me, when I think about it, is really for the for a lot of people. Eighteen-year-olds leave the nest; they go away, they live on their own with a bunch of other like-minded nineteen and twenty and twenty-one-year-olds for three years, four years, five years, whatever it is, and the experience is generally like really awesome right it's fun you're doing all, all those things it's mostly about that the actual like delivery of, of of learning stuff and educating you know that's the that's a small piece of it so like I wonder if there will be just a boom in kids who leave high school they they continue their education however they do it but they maybe they they go abroad tons more go abroad and they live in a different country or a different part of the world or whatever, different part of the, um, their own country even, and they get experiences with like-minded um, like-minded uh, kids that way. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's a, the, it's a huge question in my mind. I have no idea. I'm just like thinking out loud about like, what the trend might be at like As a result of this, if it's not going to a physical campus for four years and living in a dorm with 20,000 other kids.
0: Yeah, that's where I grapple with this the most is the the social aspect, because, I mean, the education, I think you can get other places for a lot less money. It's just it's a matter of that. That independence, going away for the first time, meeting people, establishing relationships, like all of that is invaluable and hard to quantify when it comes to like the cost of it Um, and whether you're going to do it in New York City or Chestertown, Maryland. Like there are just so many variables beyond, you know, the institution itself. So I agree completely that, you know, the cost of college should and likely will change from this, but there are just, I mean, like we've talked about with both of these topics today, there are just so many other, other things that this is going to impact. And I just can't imagine being like a 15 or 16 year old now and having this like what college is portrayed as on TV shows and in movies and what your parents and your cousins and your aunts and uncles talk about as like the best four years of their lives. And then it just getting blown up in your face. Yeah. And then the kids who are already there, you know what I mean? Who had to walk away from their senior year without a graduation or their senior lacrosse season without playing a single game. I mean, I just, my heart hurts for them. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to Coach's Corner and then we'll wrap up with the last dance.
2: Okay. Jeff, you you, you saw this somewhere, right? On uh, Twitter or, or I don't know where, but. And you yeah, I found it. it, I, it, I found it on, yeah, I found it on Twitter.
1: Uh, yeah. It was basically um, Peter Lynch got a phone call from Warren Buffett asking him if he can use a line that he. Uh, wrote in one of Peter Lynch's books. And it was basically talking about how he uh, sold stocks way too early. Like he should have held on to them because, you know, they'd go up or they double or triple. And he's like, okay, I'm going to take my profits. And then they would uh, quadruple there. So it kind of, when I was reading the quote from Peter Lynch, it sounded like he was talking about how he should be more of a market timer. Did I read that correctly? when he said, let see if I can find it. If you're great in the business, you're right six times out of ten. but the time you're right, if you make a triple or ten bagger, it overcomes your mistakes. So you have to find the big winners. I sold way too early on Home Depot, yada, 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 yada. And I think that's what kind of struck me is like, wow, this guy like he said, Peter Lynch was is regarded as one of the one of the better fund managers of all time, right?
2: Yeah, so to Peter Lynch was a legendary Fidelity fund manager. But 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 very importantly, it was in like the 80s was kind of when he crushed it. Um, and he was famous for sort of like reading annual reports for companies or, you know, using a particular product that was really awesome that he loved and like buying the stock of the company that made it he kind of became a folk hero cuz he he out he crushed the the market averages however this is back in the days when there were there wasn't a lot of competition information was scarce it was way way easier to do that um and i think jeff you're right his point was kind of like you know Warren Buffett I guess was what like you know his his whole thing is he he buys something and he hold, his holding period is forever and Peter Lynch was sort of like yeah I, I would end up like selling something making three or four times my investment and then it continued to go up like from there and I probably was like wrong in like selling my winners too soon or whatever 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 my take on the on the little blurb though was that you need to own like the very best uh, performers to get the returns that you, like if you own, if you miss out on the Amazons and the Googles and the like the, the, the huge grand slams, because maybe you didn't own, either you didn't own them or you're a stock picker that missed out on that or thought like, oh, they're, they're like, look at that company. It's like way overvalued. I'm staying away from that. I'm gonna try to like uh, pick some like value stocks or something if you don't own those you're 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 not going to keep up with the market averages and there's there's like really famous studies now that are all over the place that show that 4% or something like that of the stocks in the in the, in the whole market are responsible for all of the averages meaning that hypothetically you own the other 96% of the stocks and you somehow forgot to buy like Amazon and Google and stuff, you, you'd have zero return. And, and to me, even though Peter Lynch is our, he's an act, he's like the, the like prototypical active manager, stock picker. He's not, he's not an indexer. He's making the case for, to me, especially nowadays, the only way that you get the market at market returns is to own the market and ensure that you have the winners. You're going to have the losers too. But if you don't have the winners, you're out of luck. And you're going to basically tread water, if not lose money over time. And furthermore, knowing which winners are, are they are ahead of time is pretty much impossible. So I feel like Peter Lynch like unwittingly makes the case for mm-hmm. diversification and owning everything. That's my take.
1: Yeah, I found I found his quote to be almost um, irresponsible. Like when he says, "So you have to find the big winners." Like the average investor is going to read that, and be like, "Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta find the big winners." I'm only going to try to find the best performers. Like
2: they're 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 destined for failure. And Peter Peter Lynch is unfortunate. He did great in his time. But he would walk around a shopping mall and see that there was a whole bunch of traffic in Foot Locker. And he'd be like, well, look, kid, these kids love Foot Locker. I'm going to go buy the stock. And then he would kill it. But you can't <laughs> do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's a shopping mall? Yeah, right.
1: By the way, what was, what was the quote he said in his book? Selling your winners and holding your losers is like cutting the flowers and watering the weeds
2: what the hell does that mean well in hindsight is obvious what it means right (laughs) before the fact you can't know it I mean because remember like think about like going back to the Amazons and the Googles and stuff right like two years ago three years ago all you read how these these gigantic companies make up X percent of the S&P 500 they're the biggest of the big they're only getting bigger they're concentrated in these companies the market caps approaching a trillion this can't sustain itself they're going to and and when the market falls they're going to they're going to crumble they're going to they're going to drop way more than everything else well guess what just happened the opposite like we're in the midst of them getting stronger and bigger and more valuable and more important and trying to predict whether and when and all that's going to happen is just crazy you, you just need to you need to buy everything and own everything yeah. and this is back to just my my thing with stock pickers is that people don't realize how many companies and i'll just use the s p 500 how many companies over time fail and go to zero they, they literally die and they get dropped out and they disappear from the planet don't have the number but it's amazing if you're like gambling on 10 or 12 or 15 stocks and you happen to like have a couple of those good luck. Yeah. You need to offset those, those losses with the grand slams. You need to make sure you own them. And the only way to know, know that you're going to own them is to own them all. That's it. I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) I'm good on that. I, I I agree with you. I think it just, it makes the case for diversification. You can get out of coach's corner.
0: All right. The last dance. Episodes three and four this past week, Dennis Rodman and Phil Jackson.
2: Before we talk about The Last Dance, does anyone think that Netflix or really any of the streaming services that have a great piece of content that they're dropping should have taken advantage of this opportunity to dump the monthly subscription model and do like a pay-per-view? model no would you pay per view anything right now or are you just like no no i hate absolutely hate and despise the pay-per-view model i've been paying per view pay-per-viewing a lot of stuff like we're renting movies through amazon or whatever at like four bucks a pop or five bucks, whatever it is so like pretty much every week i've got like four or five movie rentals that's different. It's it's a
1: small investment for a small amount of time. Like a, you rent a movie for five bucks. Okay, if they if Netflix was like, we're gonna drop Tiger King, you can you can pay per view it. It's gonna be seventy
0: five dollars. Oh, you're but, thinking um, like the MMA fight pay per view. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I'm am talking about like for example, Ozark season three is dropping, and it's nineteen ninety nine for you to watch the series. Would you do it? Probably because I like
0: Ozark.
1: <laughs> and it was a good season.
0: I would pay for The Last Dance. Like if yes yeah, I, I would too. I would absolutely, like, no questions asked, pay for it. Um, anything else, probably would do without. Like, I haven't watched anything that's been new or old that I've been super excited about and would have been, like, willing to pay for. And, and I guess I'm answering your question, assuming that like the catalog on Netflix doesn't go away. Like the new stuff is pay-per-view, but I still have, you know, the ability to scroll through for three hours to try to find something else. Like if I had to pay for everything, my answer probably changes. But just the, the new releases or stuff they're dropping now, I don't know that I would be in on it. The last dance
1: is great, but I don't know if I would have paid for it. Like, I probably would have just waited until it was free.
0: I think you're lying.
2: Well, I'm look. I'm like looking forward to episodes like five and six already.
0: I think for you, Jeff, it would have been like if anyone else is talking about it and you couldn't participate. That would have made you pay for it.
1: Maybe. It's interesting though, because a lot of, I mean, I, I, like I said last time, like I was, I was a huge Jordan fan as a kid, and I mean, had multiple like VHS tapes of Jordan documentaries and watched them over and over again. And a lot of what was in those are the clips that are in the Last Dance. Like a lot of clips that they've pulled are clips from old documentaries I used to watch as a kid of Jordan. Like yeah, even, but
0: you didn't have Michael Jordan giving you the commentary on them.
1: No, that's just yeah, it's just uh it's it has certainly made me realize how much I love sports. Because I'm watching I'm like, God, I wish a basketball game was
0: on right now. Yeah. We have paid for a couple movies. We watched um Hustlers, the J Lo movie. Recommend.
1: Um, if J Lo's in it, i don't know. Why? I find her movie stupid.
0: So this is based on a true story. She works at a strip club. And her, yeah, she does this absolutely insane routine on the pole. That's like probably the most athletic thing I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) And her body, it's insane for any age, not because she's 50. It's an insane body. But um, they, like the strippers, like form this alliance where they meet men out drug them, take them to the club and then get them to spend like absurd amounts of money on their credit card. And then the club gives them, the strippers, a cut. And like they did this for a while. <laughs> and this is um, like a real thing. So it's it was entertaining. The soundtrack was really good. So I think I know people that that's happened to. Yeah. Yourself. Are you talking about yourself? No, am not
2: talking <laughs> about myself. Anyway, back to the actual last dance, yeah. So Jeff, you just watched seasons three and f- or episodes three and four, which is like Rodman centric and stuff. I, anyway, I to me, I'll just the only thing I'll say is I loved getting maybe reacquainted with the whole Pistons debacle and them leaving the court and not shaking hands and how much how much the thuggery that that surrounded that team and their whole like persona i that, that was cool um and and the obvious hatred between jordan and isaiah to this day awesome awesome
0: couldn't agree more i mean mm-hmm. i totally love like Jordan's awareness of rodman's value and like i don't care what you do outside of the 48 minutes i need you in a game and a couple hours a week in practice like Be here, get rebounds, play defense, and then do what you want, where you want, when you want. I love that. I love that
1: about Jordan. (laughs) So I love how when they all talk about each other, it's crazy. It's like, man, we we can't win without Michael Jordan. And then they're like, man, we can't win without Scottie Pippen. Man, we can't win without Dennis Robin. Like they all valued each other and realized they weren't winning anything if any one piece of that puzzle was missing, man. It's crazy how much they respected each other. Like, it was like maybe the greatest team of all time, in my opinion. Like, not the greatest basketball team.
0: That That's just because we have this footage now. I mean, let's not... That I
1: don't know, dude. The Eagles won a Super Bowl without Carson Wentz. My point is the Bulls couldn't win. And it was like proven as you're watching this show when Pippin wasn't there, they lost games. When Rodman wasn't there, they lost games. That's what I'm saying. I think, yes, of course, because of this documentary, it's come to light and you can see it, but they were the epitome of a team. Sorry, Mike, they weren't the
2: greatest team. They were just the epitome of a team. So I'm curious to get your take on Jerry Krause here. So here's the, the five foot three GM who really I think was weird. Like he was looking for always looking for more credit than he was getting. He was a total dick in a lot of ways in terms of how he handled some of the pieces on the team. But he also knew that he needed to go out and get like a Rodman. He needed to go out and get like, he was maybe like he didn't get as much credit as he deserved but weirdly he was, he was still looking for like more credit than he deserved. You know what I mean? Cause he was, he, he made, con- you know, the, the famous comment about like, it's, I don't know what he said. And it was one of the early episodes about like, it's not the players on his team. It's the team organization
0: he, that wins championship, not players. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. That's it. Dumbest yeah. comment I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, but I mean, think like this guy was pretty freaking shrewd. He knew what was needed to win and he went out and, figured it out and got it right no
0: no i I couldn't agree more I, and i like I wasn't old enough when this was all happening in real time to even understand, and obviously we're getting I'm getting all of this from from kind of one side of it, but the way that he constructed this team, i mean you can't argue with any of the decisions he made i'm i'm I need more about why he decided like Phil's last year was then why I I, why he didn't pay Scotty like I need more of that but on paper to put that group together to draft Scotty Pippen out of Southern Arkansas University or something like I mean there's a lot of good things that he did and Obviously, he had some like little man syndrome and wanted to be part of the club so badly. Like the scene in, on the plane when he's like dancing and think he ha- thinks he has a moment with Scottie Pippen, and Scottie's like, "Jerry, go sit down." Like I felt <laughs> bad for him, but I don't know. I'm I'm struggling with like where the where all the like shit talking comes from. Um, yeah, because as a GM, he seemed to do like pretty good job
1: <laughs> he killed it he killed it as a gm there's no doubt i have just just two quick comments number one is on dennis Rodman. i remember how crazy as, as as like as batshit crazy as he was i remember it like like it was yesterday which is and i i loved it like i i back then i was like a fan like well, i love this crazy guy and 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 to the Rodman point i forget uh, much of a smoke show. Carmen Electra was like, she's hot, dude. How do you forget that? <laughs> I just, I like Carmen. I forgot about Carmen Electra. And then I, and I, I, I totally forgot that she dated him and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. She was super hot. So that was my one. My, my other point is cause we we're, it was, it was Robin and Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson could be the whitest white man I've ever seen in my life. Like this tall, lanky, mustachy white guy, dude. <laughs> he for the Knicks. Like, I don't even, I don't, clearly, I don't remember him
2: playing in the NBA, but dang, dude. Now, real quick, Meg, I, I, I'm curious your take when Rodman was describing why he was so good at rebounding, which was basically like he was sort of saying, like, I, I studied like the rotation of the ball and certain guys' shots, and I basically knew where it was going before anyone else. Do you? Like, do you buy that?
0: A thousand percent. I mean, the way he described it was horrible. And I love the memes that are coming out of it now. Because remember when he was sitting on the chair and he was just like, clink, there, clink, there. And he was just pointing all over the place. That was, I mean, couldn't follow that. But no, I I like, to me, that's what makes a good rebounder. You know where the ball is coming off the rim. And especially someone for Rodman who was obviously very strong, but he was... By some standards, kind of undersized, but to be as good of a rebounder as he was, that was his advantage. He knew where the ball was going to come off the rim. So uh, a thousand percent. And I cannot believe you're disagreeing with me.
1: I think it's it's definitely a huge part of why he was such a good rebounder. But I think just as big is the guy had no regard for his own safety. That makes a good rebounder. He wanted to get hurt out there. And and he would he would run face first into the into the backboard if he could.
0: That doesn't make a good rebounder. That makes a crazy person. How crazy good,
1: people make great rebounders.
0: How good are you if you get hurt trying to rebound and then you're on the bench unable to get rebounds? Like using your brain to be able to know Scotty's shots come off this way.
2: <laughs> okay. So one last thing I have on it. When I watch this. Now you all know I don't I don't really watch if any NBA action these days even before all this. But it seems to me like hockey and basketball had the similar sort of um like the 70s and really the 80s it was a war. The the physicality and the brutality and the stuff that was sort of let go and the stuff that just happened on a nightly basis. It's insane. Compared to the way the games are played today. Football is the same. Yeah, uh, well. They used to kill each other. Kill each yeah, other. Yeah. But I think football is different. I think football is different because um, there's more protective gear now. Uh, I, I, It's like I don't think football was – there was more dirty violence in football generally, I think, then. But – Today, football football players are bigger, stronger, faster, and they're just projectiles out there launching themselves. I think it's more violent today than it was. Football, my opinion. But um, basketball and hockey was a just a. It, I mean, to survive in those leagues as a player back then, oh my god! You if you had if you had like an ounce of non toughness in you, you couldn't you couldn't. You couldn't do it. Couldn't couldn't exist. When they
1: were showing the clips of the Pistons, just like literally beating people up. (laughs) It was (laughs) unbelievable, dude. Well, they got away with it.
0: I was thinking about like the last two Sixers seasons and the amount of flagrants and flagrant twos that have been called on, in comparison, nothing. I mean, it's wild to see like what... Joel Embiid has been like benched for that wouldn't have even been a common foul in, in those games. So yeah, it's, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it was cool to watch, but it was. How tough. many, what are there, are there? 10 episodes of this? Yeah, I think so.
1: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, 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 I'm still blown away that, that they had the the foresight to, uh, to
0: videotape all this. man. Yeah. Anything else in last dance? No, we're good. All right, so our top five this week is going to be the first five things you'd do tomorrow if all COVID restrictions were lifted.
2: All right, so I mean, I I, I guess I'll start. And caveat again is that there's a, it disappears from the plan. Like there's no, there's no.
1: Gone. Gone.
0: Yep. No trace.
1: No, no, no reinfestation can start.
0: No need to wear masks, no need to social distance, no need to be six feet.
2: Yeah. Um mine are probably kind of boring and obvious, but they're they're like they come to mind. Um number one, I'm playing hockey. I can't wait to get back in the rank and play. Um second one would be I'm going to a restaurant with a big group of people and then just ripping it up and having a great like dinner and just gooblet after gooble of <laughs> Wine or something. Um, I'm going to a concert. I'm going to see a show. I don't even care who it is. I mean, I may never. I I don't even have to have heard of them. (laughs) And I'm going to a sporting event. And and I'll go to an NBA game, Meg. I don't care. I'm sporting (laughs) event, watching it. And then probably number one is I'm getting on a. I'm getting on a plane and I'm going on a vacation. I'm getting out of <laughs> the state, the, probably the country. I'm going to another place and just going on vacation. That's it. Pretty solid. Pretty good list, man.
0: Yeah, I actually don't have much different. Um, I was a little more specific. I said I was going to San Diego. <laughs> um, nice. I said going to a Sixers game specifically. <laughs> Um, but I also had concert, restaurant, and then I said going to visit my grandmother because, like, no one's seen her. And-
1: yeah. Good one. Um, so I'm going to go work from the office. I can't <laughs> work in my office instead of my freaking house. I'm going to leave <laughs> my house and go to work. On my way there, I'm going to stop at my mom's house and give her a hug because she's been dying to, like, just, like, hug her family. After I stop there, I'm going to go get my hair cut. <laughs> Immediately.
0: You're due, dude. You are yeah.
1: very due. Overdue. Going to get my hair cut. Then that night, I'm going to go out to eat with with a huge a huge group of people, have a nice dinner out. And while I'm at that dinner, I'm going to grab somebody else's glass and drink from it. <laughs> that was, that's my wow. <laughs> Nice. All
2: right.
0: So we all have the same idea. Okay, good?
1: All right, good stuff. Good chat with you guys. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks.